Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Marika Fino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Alia, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, super cool. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. So today we're going to do a deep dive into equity. I've done a few deep dives before, but never on this asset class. And I think I'm super happy to do it with you because you're an equity portfolio manager based in Paris. You're managing two funds in small and mid caps for a company called Erasmus Gestion. So we'll see later what is small and mid caps, don't worry. And since you started your career, you've always studied stocks uh, because before you were equity researcher. So today we're talking about stock picking, just to be 100% clear, so or how to select individual stocks. So the goal here is really to outperform the markets, to take bets, or what we call in the markets, to pick your jewels, and to be very hands-on as you need to know the companies inside out in order to make your, your actual choice. So let's go back to the basics and, and talk about equity. How can you define it and, and its key characteristics? So... Equity, the basic definition is really the shares of a company held by its shareholders, meaning that the equity can be private, we call it like private equity. It's like companies that are held by private uh, shareholders, and it could also be public, listed in financial markets, and it's what we have interesting in uh, today. When you're buying or selling shares in the market, you are definitely buying a portion of the capital. So you basically own a real small portion of the company and it's financials and it's history. It's like on the history of the company. In some cases, you can find majority shareholders which own a significant portion of the shares. It's basically the case for LVMH. You, everyone knows LVMH in France. Bernard Arnault holds a majority share of the, of the shares. But in some cases, you have most of the shares that is actually owned by the market with really small shareholders. It's called free float. So it means that higher is the free float and higher will be the volatility on the shares. Why is it worth holding some? And for me, when you invest, it's often on the long term. And a key factor is that it's with equity, it really helps you beat inflation, uh, which means that your returns that you hope to get will outpace the inflation number. Yeah. So definitely, I think that holding stocks is the best way to have good returns for your savings over the long run. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a fund manager, <laughs> of course, but because I'm talking for themselves, if you're looking the average return for an equity index, like Eurostoxx 50 is the 50 biggest European company, is around 6% per year over five years. While the 
average inflation rate was roughly 3%, even accounting for the big year that was in 2022, 8% inflation. So if you look at the small caps, it's even higher, almost 10% per year on average over the long term. So basically holding stocks, meaning higher return. But there is a subtlety. You need to be able to hold your position during that time because stocks markets are cyclical and it's always end to up recovering, but there is some kind of sometimes some crash and you need to be able to hold your position to, to recover. If you look at COVID, I think it's the best example we had recently. The indexes dropped by almost 30% between March and April. And at the end of 2020, they have almost recovered that initial position. So I really think that it is the best way to have good returns, but just be patient and really hold your position. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting, your point, because especially when we do stock picking, we really think like we can beat the market. We have some special skills and, and sometimes reality bring us back to like <laughs> the ground. But yeah, it's really hard to get the right timing. And what you're saying is, yeah, instead of trying to find like the perfect moment to buy, perfect moment to sell, just hold it for the long term. And because you never know when it crashes, it crashes like pretty fast when it increases as well. But if you sell and you you don't really reinvest, you'll probably miss like the good days where all or most of the performance is going to be. Mm. No, no, that's the key. So let's talk about the wide variety of stocks and how we can differentiate them and, and kind of get used to the jargon. So the first range of, or the, the first range of um, differentiation could be about the size. So we have small caps, mid caps and large caps. So can you expand on each of them? Yeah, of course. So indeed, three sides, the large one, the medium or mid and the small one. Starting with the large cap, there is like some kind of big names. Everyone knows them. It's like market cap over 15 billion. It is like mature stocks. Growth potential is that like limited because they are mature on their market. They have not that much growth driver. They have like pretty high margins, high dividend returns. It's basically less volatility, less risk. On the opposite, you have the small cap. So it's every company is below. 3 billion market caps with high returns, high growth, some kind of potential development, jumping into new countries, launching new products, sometimes in a bad way, needing new capital, new funds to, to invest, to launch. But it is part of the story. So if you believe in it, just jump on it and you will be able to follow the company, whatever she needs. And between them, I'm not saying because I, I'm specialized in the mid-cam, but mid-cam are just like the best of the two worlds of the large cap and the small caps world because they actually have the way of financing its story and they have proven track records. So they are actually well, yeah, well established in, the, in their country, in their market. They have highly returns, but they have also pretty growth drivers and they are able to be developed in the same in in other way. They can have also some kind of mergers. And so the, the story is like kind of more fun about compared to large cap. 
in those days and our markets, uh, no one wants to step in, in, in small cap anymore since we have like recession fears. Everyone wants to jump in in large caps, like especially the luxury ones where you have like kind of 10 years visibility, you know that they, they will remain there. So the, the valuation for the small cap is very, very low at the moment. So it depends on your ability to take risk and also to have fun on the market, I would say. But oh, there is like pretty much to do in the market. Super clear. Yeah. And there's also two strategies. We're talking about value versus growth. So again, can you kind of explain? Yeah, 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 of course. So growth and value have two completely different strategies. The investor from those types are looking very different things uh, when they are investing in companies. If you take the value investor, they will look for valuation exaggeration in the market, meaning they will look for companies that are actually undervalued regarding their fundamentals. They are usually in the capital for a short-term period compared to the growth investor, and they are more reactive in terms opportunistic, of... Opportunistic, let's say. Yeah, they are opportunistic. Yeah, this is the right word. On the opposite, you have the growth investor. It's like more long-term view, very kind of lower volatility. They will remain, jump into the story, Whatever it takes, if there is like one or two quarter very low, they will remain there. They will not be that worried and they will just be able to be in the company because they are looking for the growth. So basically the earnings will drive up the shares. So you will have more recurring return. Uh, it would be lower volatility, also a longer term period, but at the end, the return will be good. So it is very two different approach. And if we look at the small and, and large cap, the small cap are the ones you want to invest in are usually more in the growth and I would say even in the quality segments. Because if you look at the value small cap, it can be really tricky. Because if you look at the value small cap with like low margin, even at negative margin and some kind of difficulties to post growth, it can be really tricky and the bankruptcy is never that far. While in the, in the large cap can be easy. And just to be like growth and value, there, there is kind of, there are some sectors that are cyclical and not cyclical. I think we would just discuss after that. But when you are a value investor, you would like have a higher share in your portfolio of the sector that are valued. And for the growth, it would like mean higher share in technologies, medical, and some there are some kind of sectors that are more valued than growth. But basically, there is like two kind of investors with value investing. You kind of volatility, you will have some higher returns very fast. With the growth fund, is not, not usually the case. Yeah, it's, it's bigger stocks, yeah. So as you said, so not all of the stocks respond to the same way to the economic cycle. So we have some sectors that the example of pharmaceuticals that are called defensive. Why? Because you always need these kind of products. And there are other sectors, for example, auto, where it's much more volatile or much more cyclical. Why? Because you can actually, if there's an uncertain time or something, you can actually delay your purchase. So what is our current environment? And in that environment, what kind of sectors w would you look at? No, that is that is really the key of the market. Today, it's like 70% of the flows we see in the market. It's purely systematic flows. It's purely 
you know, mathematical and edge funds. So they are basically have a macro environment and a macro scenario, and they will just do the arbitrage of their portfolio only regarding the sectors. It's not our case because we are fundamental, but we need to have this view on the macro because even if there is a very good story on a value on a cap good stocks, if the macro is not supportive, they would just drop whatever the, the fundamentals. So basically, first teams we are we are we are looking at it's defensive definitely. So it would mean the pharma stocks, also the the food and beverage stocks. It can also be utilities because you will forever need to eat your own whatever it takes and whatever it costs. You will maybe have some habitats in your budget, but we definitely need to to eat your home. So yeah, it's not the most sexy teams uh, we had uh, for the past three years, I would, uh, I would have to say, but definitely we think that uh, Europe will uh, will enter in recession. Actually, uh, Germany has entered uh, recently into recession for the first time. So it will not last forever, but we need to be reactive. We need to be flexible. And definitely this is something we, um, we are like, looking at today. But for example, after the COVID, our first theme was uh, recovery, economical recovery. And on the opposite, we had the, the, the most of our stocks were like travel and leisure and uh, auto also as well. Uh, it was like the, the, the most cyclical names that was in the portfolio. Thanks for saying the difference between what you used to have as um, like sectors and now and, and how it's dynamic. So, yeah. And once you understand like the different strategies that you want to implement, what are the key metrics? So if you know you want, for example, a pharmaceutical or food and beverage, what are the metrics you look at to actually pick the right stock? The first thing is really to be aware about the, the story of the stocks, basically the drivers, the business model, the barrier to entry, because sometimes you have companies that are actually... They have not invested a lot in terms of technology or they are just launch a product that is easily to be copied by the competitors. So you say, okay, but what is your competitive advantage and why someone cannot do the same in two or three years? So this is really important for us. We have like key question in all our models that we respond that before investing in, in new stocks. So it's really important to identify the company and why it is better than its environment. And the second thing, it's really on the ability of creating value. So we actually measure that, that with the return on capital employed. And if the capital employed is over 10% and is able to progress over the year, it means that the company is actually creating value over the investment that is actually needed for the business. So it's really important to see that. And the second, the, the third thing, it's more on the governance and less on the financials, but it's really important for us. It's that the management is actually aligned with the shareholders' interest, meaning that they have their bonuses and their paycheck aligned with the stock performance and also with the financials, but sometimes you see in the, the annual report that the CEO is actually indexed to the growth. Whatever it takes, whatever it happens, it just needs to grow the, the revenues. And for us, it's really bad because you cannot just have higher sales by 
making accusation, but it can be sometimes poor, sometimes dilutive to the margins, whatever. And so it will have the bonuses and you will have just destroyed value. So for us, it's really important. And this is with the ISG topic, it's really, really important that the, the management is aligned with us. Mm -hmm. And I like it, the fact that you stress, yeah, you look at numbers, of course, you look at strategy, you look at the team, but there's so much more than just, again, numbers and data, but as well, like how people yeah, are paid or, or are aligned to the end purpose. So let's talk now about constructing your stock picking portfolio. And the first thing that comes to my mind is about dividends, because some people, they want extra revenue, passive revenues, as we call them. And dividends from stocks can actually provide that. Um, the thing is, not all of the stocks actually give dividend. It really depends if the company wants to distribute or reinvest all of the profits back into their business for future growth. So what's your view on having a high dividend stock portfolio, for example? We come back at the first question about like small, mid and large cap because it's really correlated. If you look at large cap, they have mature business. They do not need much investment. So they can have high dividend, higher returns and also share buybacks. If you look at the small caps, they will need all the cash they are actually generated to reinvest in the business to not lag behind the peers. So if you look at small and mid caps, you will have not that much companies that are actually uh, paying high dividends. And also uh, regarding the sector, if you're looking at technology sectors, all stories are like growth and growth and growth. So they will reinvest all the cash into the growth story. And this is what you like. You won't invest in a technology company to have dividends. If you want dividends, you will look at utilities and also oil and gas sectors, telecom sectors. It's kind of sectors with low growth, high margin, high free cash flow, so high dividend, low volatility, and you would just buy like that. Yeah, makes total sense. And thanks again for giving a, like a big overview. And stock picking is a lot of work, let's face it, because you need a lot of energy looking at the company, being like super involved, doing research, because you really need to understand the strategy, the people and, and every financial data we, we've spoken about. So for an individual investors, how many stocks do you recommend to hold? Yeah, no, definitely. The real key is the diversification because sometimes you can have isolated stories. Sometimes you cannot predict any kind of article that's accused anyone. It can be like drop 10, 20% in a day. And if you are 100% investing in that, it would just be a crash for your portfolio. So the key is really diversification. In our firm is over... 40 names, but for an investor, an individual investor, it can be between 10 and 20. And the recommendation would be diversification into the names, into the sectors, into the story, some kind of high risk. I know that some kind of investor, and it's my case too, we like some kind of high risk, high reward because the story is very fun. But we need also to have some kind of very mature and high visibility name. So Really between 10 and 20, it's very, it's very cool to me. And maybe I have five to 10% of the portfolio with high risk name. And the other one is just like maybe more valuation gap and long term story. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top, what is really good to take into account is that the more you buy and sell, the more transaction fees you're going to get. And so like the benefit of diversifying will be offset by the extra charges that you're going to pay. So yeah, no, that's really true. But sometimes you can have big story that can jump like 30, 40% in a day because it's a medical company and they have find a new product. Sometimes there is kind of story like that and some kind of like investor really look at this kind of returns. I think it's not the right strategy. You need to have really small portion of your portfolio on that because if it's crash, it would say, okay, it's just 5% of the portfolio. So you can afford the losses. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use technical analysis? And um, so what is technical analysis? It's basically looking at charts in order to find patterns. And it helps you really in terms of timing. So a lot of traders use it to see like through averages and, and so on. So yeah, do you use it yourself? And if yes, what do you look at? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I love to say that in equity markets, you have like three big factors that can influence the global performance. So the fundamentals, we have talked a lot about that in the in the podcast. The news flow, which is like directly linked to the company. You have also the micro environment that will more impact the sector performance inside the equity market. And the third one is really the sentiment of the investor itself. And the best way to measure uh, the sentiment of the investor is the chartist and it's the uh, technical analysis. Sorry. So yeah, I use that really to find an entry point and also to be aware about what the global equity market is actually thinking about my ideas because in in every ideas there is some pros and some cons but if you are just the only one to be pros and everyone is actually cons even if you're right it can be like very 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 long to get the return <laughs> so it's really a tool that i think it's complementary to the fundamental analysis you can just do that because sometimes there is like a publication, a very good publication or some kind of news flow from the company that will get wrong to the charts. But overall, if there is no news flow, the chart will be right. So you really need to have the fundamental analysis and then check your ideas with the technical analysis. And for most of the time, it really helps to find an entry point or just to be able to get out the story before it gets worse. And how can a non-professional investor who doesn't have Bloomberg, for example, can get that kind of information, like any websites or, or sources that you recommend? Yeah, Bloomberg is, is very uh, high cost. So I, I know that it's very tough for the private investors, but we we use actually investing.com and zonboost.com. They have their own technical uh, analysis. They're pretty good, actually. So we use them also as well uh, as uh, professional investors. And I think it's it's basic, but uh, it's very uh, good tools to have. And also we we have Twitters. It's basically, but uh, to have the the macro uh, news. Sometimes you have info in the market. You you can find in the in the the site of the company. You will find it on Twitter, definitely. Nice. Thank you so much for the for the sources. Super useful. Cool. And um, before we end, I always like to speak about your own portfolio because it's always good to apply your own concepts, kind of. So can you tell us about your own investment portfolio? If you invest in individual stocks or not really, more through funds, 
And because I used to have the same issue as you, like being like professional and sometimes you have like insider's information and so on. So the need for compliance to prove what you're doing. So is it yeah, linked to your job, the fact that you skewed to one, one or the other? Yeah, it's tough because in my previous uh, companies, we have no right to do anything. It was like, just painful to, uh, to visit the compliance. And I kind of, because I was an analyst, so you have just discussion before everyone else uh, to the company. So it was really tough. So I have like a, a, a small portfolio, but uh, never do any any movement on that. And no, at Erasmus, we can, uh, but uh, to be honest, we need to uh, wait for like, two weeks before making any changement after the thing we, we are doing in the portfolio, that's kind of normal, but it's, yeah, too time consuming. So I have like very small portfolio and I don't make any movement and I have some shares in my fund. I think the basic way to, to have the return of my work. So it's, uh, it's pretty like easier for me. And also I'm pretty kind of real estate. And do you invest in equity through fund then? So you have real estate, you have investment in your own fund, which is again, like a good sign that you actually believe in what you're doing, a tiny, tiny thing, direct investment. And, and do you have funds then in equity or bonds or? For, for other companies? Yeah. 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 In a, yeah. In other strategy, because we are only a small in cap. So I invest in small in cap. And in uh, other like large cap equity or some kind of diversified so ETFs. So, uh, so, yeah, yeah. I have uh, also biotech uh, because I like volatility, but uh, <laughs> but I don't look at that every day because it's too uh, too crazy. But uh, no, no, I have a pretty pretty diversified. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much, Leah, for all of your insights, all of your knowledge. Yeah, super interesting, super clear. And yes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Marie, for having me. It was a pleasure to discuss with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So that's the end of this episode. I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.